0: be on the run with your host, Katie Halney. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. TYB On The Run We're welcome to Romans 9, a very controversial chapter. So if you want to wrestle this with me, jump in with me. Again, it's your Bible Blast moment, so I'm going to read it over you and then we're going to have a chat about some of the controversy over this chapter. Let's jump in. Paul's Anguish Over Israel, Romans 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Are Israel, not nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated: at the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why do you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people and there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, Who we would have become like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Oh, my goodness, TYB on the run. I always say this, but what a chapter. This incredible moment where Romans 9 to 11 presents this case of why did God seemingly reject Israel? Is the promises of Israel, did God promise? And are the promises of Israel was he faithful to his promises to Israel? And we're going to have a chat about that. Now Romans 9 to 11 is such a controversial chapter and I'm going to talk about that. But 9 to 11 seemingly starts a whole different um, discussion. Romans 1 to 8, we're talking about all have sinned. We're talking about how people get sin saved from sin. We're talking about Jesus Christ and the benefits of salvation. It's this beautiful essay that runs through salvation. And Romans 1 to 8, we finish it with, you know, these are, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, knowing all things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither height. this pinnacle moment. And then, bam, Romans 9 starts, I speak the truth in Christ. And he completely changes topic. Now, some people have actually said that Romans 9 to 11 is, is a parenthesis. It, it should be separated from the text because Romans 1 to 8 is this beautiful salvation moment, and you can pretty much Keep the continuity of the text and jump in at Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And 9 to 11 could be completely cut out of the text and it still makes sense. But I disagree. I think 9 to 11 is Paul addressing the elephant in the room as he reads the whole letter of Romans. He knows in Romans 1 to 8, he has completely offended the Israelites by saying that the Gentiles are included, by saying that we are all sinners saved by grace and we're all able to be saved through, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He has completely offended. And you can hear the murmuring in the audience. Does that mean God's? unfaithful to Israel does that mean what God promised through Israel isn't isn't going to happen does that and all these questions have come up and what he's done is in 9 to 11 he's like okay guys I'm just going to address the elephant in the room here and let's have a chat is God being unfaithful to Israel by including the Gentiles And this is what he starts with. Can you feel this? It's 9 to 11. You can have a read of it. It's it's such an amazing text. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow. He's saying, guys, I'm going to say I'm heartbroken over the Israelites. You've got to remember who Paul is. He's a Pharisee. He's an Israelite. He calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. (laughs) He is one of them. And he has wrestled with the Old Testament scriptures and he has wrestled with Jesus and the salvation. And he has come out the other end. Imagine those 14 years or the 17 years, actually, when he was preparing in ministry and he's wrestling with how does Israel come into this journey of of Christianity and salvation through Jesus Christ? And he's saying, look, I'm heartbroken, too, because I recognize as a Hebrew and as an Israelite, he says, I recognize it. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants. He's right. Read the Old Testament. It's theirs. Receiving of the law, the temple, the promises. They were all given to the nation and to the Israelites, to this be- people of God. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all from ever praised. Jesus Christ was always coming through the Israelites. It was always meant to happen. The remnant was always this lineage through the Old Testament to get to Jesus on this earth. And then he says, is it not as though God's word um, has failed? He's like, let's address the elephant in the room. Do you think that God's word has failed because he now seemingly has rejected the Israelites? For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. I love this. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. He's saying, okay, the promise of salvation, the promise of the Messiah was given to Abraham, that the people of God will be a blessing to the nation uh, and nations around them. The people of God are the the Abraham's children. He says, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. He's saying, all right, let's address this elephant in the room. You think the Gentiles cannot be included in God's people or Abraham's offspring because they're not physically descended from Abraham. Because of the Old Testament text, it says, you know, the, the blessing of the Abraham's children and your children will be a blessing and all of that sort of stuff, the promise of Abraham. He's saying, you think that that's only physical descent, has to be part of the Israelites, has to be Jewish, he said, but you've got it wrong. It was never a promise of physical descent. He said it was always a promise of descent in Christ. And he says it here, let me say it again. It's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are Abraham's offspring. He's saying those who are able to be a part of the people of God are not just Jews, but anybody who is the promise, and that promise is Jesus Christ. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father, Isaac. Let me keep going. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, Just as it is written, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. This is the most controversial scripture in Romans. Most teachers skip Romans 9 because it's so controversial. But I want to have a chat to you about it. Are you ready? Lean in. Where it says here, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. Can I say that when you read the Bible, do not separate the biblical nature of God, what we know about God across the Bible from your biblical text, from what you are reading. Sometimes when we pick scriptures like this, we go, oh, my gosh, how horrible is our God? He picks and chooses, and I've heard people preach on this, can I say, and I stop the tape straight away. I I cannot listen to people preach like that on this. Some people preach that God chooses, and it's Calvinism, God chooses some for destruction, to go to hell, and some for salvation. Meaning what? That before you are born, you are chosen to either be saved in in Christ or to go to hell. Can I say this separates the nature of God from the biblical text, I know that from the biblical text, my God is just. I know that my God is is merciful. I know that my God will send his only son to save everybody. I know that my God will do everything he can to save people. And then all of a sudden I have people pulling this scripture out and making God to be elective, selective in his mercy, selective in who he's going to save. Don't do that. And if you hear teaching about that, just don't listen to it. What it is actually saying here, TYB, is this. He's saying, yes, when Jacob and before Jacob and Esau were born, God chose them. Why? Because the promise had to come through Jacob. (laughs) And God chose that. And he knew and he had a plan because his plan was way back in Genesis when in the fall, his whole plan of redemption of how to save the whole nations, every person on earth, was planned all the way back in Genesis. And he beautifully walks this plan through the Old Testament with the remnant, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, because he knows that this is his promise. And some of them he's like, hey, guys, I, I need Esau. You, you're The remnant is here. That doesn't mean that he rejects Esau and Esau is, is no longer, longer under the plan of salvation. What it does mean, though, is this specific lineage of Jesus had a specific line that he goes through. And as he goes through, he goes, "Okay, Jacob, Pharaoh, I need you to harden your heart because I need the Israelites out of Egypt and I need them to come into the promised land. It's kind of like this beautiful orchestration of salvation plan. Now, what people do is fixate on the fact that, oh, my gosh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and stopped him from being saved. That's not right. Where it says here that some have been chosen for um Election, let me keep going. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Can you see what Paul's focusing on? He's saying, stop getting so angry at God when you don't understand the big picture. How many times have you done that, TYB? I do that all the time. God, why are you not doing this part? And he's like, Katie, you don't see the big picture. I'm about to save you everybody. You are fixating on how dare I harden Pharaoh's heart. How dare I not choose Esau when I know this plan and I've just got to get to Jesus who will open up this door for salvation for everybody. Let me keep going. It does not therefore depend on human desire. The scripture says to Pharaoh and he says, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Can you see that God had a bigger perspective? God had a bigger perspective on why Pharaoh's heart had to be hardened. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then, why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Can I say, this sounds quite harsh how dare you talk back to God and, you know, you're just the clay, sit on the wheel. And that's, again, don't separate the Bible from the biblical text that says that your God is loving and kind and a beautiful father. (laughs) What he's saying here is, hey, just because you're the clay and you're this lump of clay, maybe your perspective on that wheel isn't um, a good perspective. Maybe you need to realize that, hey, little lump of clay that wants to talk back to his, his master and say, why are you creating me like that maybe you got to trust that your master knows the bigger picture and the and the plan and he knows that this is all going to work out for good it's not about having a harsh God that judges you and um, that's not right. And if that's how you've been trained and taught, Romans 9, then you need to get that broken off you because that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have a harsh God that can choose to punish you and choose to send you to hell and choose to harden your heart. That's not what it's saying. It's saying maybe our, our finite perspective is, is too small to understand the infinite God. Maybe sometimes as the little clay on the wheel you don't understand what, God, why why God did you not make me into that sort of a special purpose? And he's saying, yeah, but the whole plan is in place and it's not about special purposes and special. It's all about us all being under God's special care. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with, because can you hear he's saying, what, ha- what happens if God could have chosen his wrath? Bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for what What happens if he saved people that you think should have been destroyed is what he's saying he's saying what happens like in Jonah the prophet where he wants to save the Ninevites and Jonah gets offended because how dare he save somebody that Jonah thinks is an enemy and he's kind of reminding them of that what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory what he's saying is what happens if God actually chose, chose the Gentiles to be a part of the people of God and you Israelites in your offense have to just get over it? What happens if God chooses to use somebody that you think is not a chosen vessel and he chooses to use him for, the, for God's glory? I love this. He says, even us whom he also called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles. He's saying, Jews, you need to get over your elitism here. And he says, and he says, let me, let me use your scriptures as a basis for why you need to stop choosing who God can use to save and who God can save. He says this, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. He's using Hosea, their prophet, to say God knew from the very beginning that who you choose are not my people will be included as my people. Who you choose as not my loved ones are actually going to be called my loved ones. Let me keep going. He says, and let me quote here, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Again, he says, where you say, no, they can't be saved, Gentiles, I say, yeah, they're in. I'm going to offend your elitism. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites will be like the sand, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. And he says This guys, He says, Israel has the opportunity to be saved. It was never God rejecting Israel. It was Israel rejecting God. And that makes me really sad because some people say, oh, God rejected Israel and the Gentiles came through and took it over. No, 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 no. You can read your Old Testament. God never rejects Israel. It is Israel who rejects God. Why? Because they have a plan and a purpose of how they want The Messiah to come, how they want the promises of God to be fulfilled, how they want to be the elite people of God. And God always said, no, 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 it's not just going to be you. It's going to be everybody. And that elitism stopped from them seeing the promise of God. Let me keep going. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left us descendants, he's saying it was always a remnant of Israel. It was always just a remnant that was going to be saved because some were going to be offended by what God was going to do in Christ. We can see it today, guys. We can see it today in Judaism. They're offended at what God did through Jesus Christ to save the world. It's amazing. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. This is offensive. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not obtained that. He's saying, okay, let's have a chat about this. Gentiles have obtained righteousness purely by faith. Israelites have been working at the law but have not obtained righteousness because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Have a look at it. He says this, why not? Why did Israel not It wasn't because God rejected them. It wasn't because he was unfaithful to his promise because the promise was always through Jesus Christ. It was the fact of this, and he says this, because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. It, Paul continues this argument and he says, I'm going to argue with you to say, my God is always faithful. He's always just, he's always good. He's always upright. And when you say God is not faithful to Israel, that's not true because the promise was always through Israel, the nations will be saved and the Gentiles were always included in it. He says this, it was not Israel. It's not God who is unfaithful to Israel. It is Israel Who has a stumbling block in Jesus Christ that is not following God? Can you see it? They got offended at how God chose to bring the promised Messiah. How dare he bring the promised Messiah that opened up the people of God to enemies, to everybody on the earth? It was always supposed to be just them, elite, one nation, and Jesus Christ came and said, Hey, 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 no, 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 door is too limited. Open up the door everybody can now be saved, everybody can be the people of God, everybody can be righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ, and they chose not to be a part of it. Quite heartbreaking. I hope you've loved Romans 9, and I pray that this scripture will bless you, that your God is faithful, but maybe your perspective of the promise is wrong.